0: episode 33 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety Event which runs at the NEC in Birmingham from the 30th of April until the 2nd of May 2024. Fire Safety Matters is once again serving as the lead media partner for the exhibition. To register for the show visit www.firesafetyevent.com. As always I'm joined on the Five Safety Matters podcast by my colleague Mark Sennett, the CEO at Western Business Media. Hi Mark, how are things with you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks Brian. How are you? I'm really well, thanks Mark. Just working on the August sprint edition at the moment.
1: Well, a bit of a different setup for this. This is the first time we've ever done a podcast in the same room as each other. We're out here in Spain, actually, in the manga in Spain, where I, I work over the summer. And we've been looking at all the forward features for next year, haven't we, for all issues of fire safety matters and security matters. Uh, Brian sat here in a bandana, somewhat struggling in the heat, aren't you, Brian?
0: I am indeed. I've been doing the Million Step Challenge again, Mark. Fifth year in running for the Diabetes UK to raise money for the charity. But it's seriously hard work trying to walk 10,000 steps plus in 30 or 40 degree heat.
1: My heart bleeds for you in that heat. But if people wanted to actually donate to the fantastic charity, how, how can they uh, donate for the cause that you're doing?
0: They can do. Uh, be very kind of them that they did. It's a Just Giving page. It's my own Diabetes UK page, just titled Brian Sims. You go 1 million step challenge on the web and you'll find the page. Just key in Brian Sims. Well, Brian, we always start off with the news, and before we
1: go into that, as usual, you'd have to wait for this podcast to get the latest news from Fire Safety Matters. You can go to our website, and please do, and our website has all the latest news, products and services, prosecutions, everything and more than you could want. You can go direct via the domain name, which is www.fsmatters.com. Equally, just throw into a search engine, Fire Safety Matters. When you're there, you can look at all the back archive of our digital editions of the magazines. You can sign up to get the magazines for free. You can sign up to get our weekly newsletter along with 54,000 other people for free. You can also look at all of our upcoming webinars or watch all of our back archived webinars for free or even watch last year's digital conference for free in there as well. So plenty that you can do. You can obviously follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And that is all the ways that you can engage with us online or in print. But of course, many of you do wait for this podcast Brian, and um, we do always start off with the news. So what's the first news story you've got for us?
0: The first one is a pretty important one, Mark, and it's a revisit of one we actually uh, spoke about before. The government wrote to developers back in January this year, asking them to sign a contract committing them to remediate unsafe buildings which they developed. To date, 49 of those developers have signed the contract. Only two, that's Abbey Developments and Ryden Homes, have yet to do so. Once signed, the contract requires developers to take responsibility for all necessary work to address life-critical fire safety defects arising from design and construction of buildings of 11 metres tall and over in height that they developed or refurbished in England across the 30 years prior to 5th of April 2022. They must also keep residents in these buildings informed about progress towards meeting this commitment, reimburse taxpayers for funding spent on remediating their buildings, and these requirements reflect a public pledge mark signed by 49 developers, as I said, Last year, once signed, the contract uh, makes the pledge commitments legally binding. Four developers, namely Davidsons, MacTaggart, and Michael Robertson and Wayne Holmes, who signed the pledge, were subsequently found not to have developed buildings within the scope of the contract. Those developers have therefore not been required to sign the contract at this stage. They may be asked to sign the contract in future, Mark, if information emerges indicating that they did in fact develop buildings which are in scope. The government has made it perfectly clear eligible developers who refuse to sign the contract or otherwise fail to comply with its terms and conditions that do face, and I quote, significant consequences. On 25th of April this year, the government may draft affirmative regulations to establish a Responsible Actors Scheme for developers under sections 126 to 129 of the Building Safety Act 2022. As a condition of membership, the Responsible Actors Scheme requires that developers enter into a contract with the Secretary of State containing the self-remediation terms as published on the 16th of March this year. So I know you've got some points to add on this one, Mark.
1: Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the government finally being a little bit closer to actually saying what these uh, consequences of not signing up will be. They do mm. need to make some clarity on that. To be honest, that's probably why the two that haven't signed up haven't signed up, because at the moment they're not actually being threatened with anything, are they? They're being threatened with a threat of a threat, almost. Mm. So it will be interesting to see how that happens along. I think the bit I'll, I'll add to this is yeah, this gives a recognition to those that have actually uh, signed up. So developers who have signed up to the remediation contract include Allison Holmes Group, Ballymore Limited, Barrett Development PLC, Bellway PLC, Bewley Group Limited, Bloor Investments Limited, Broadthorpe Limited, which is the parent company for William Davis Homes, Caller Group Holdings Limited, Canary Wharf Group PLC, CG Fry and Son Limited, Churchill Retirement PLC, Crest Nicholson's Holding PLC, Crowder's Homes Group Limited, Denadara Living Holdings Limited, Emerson's Development Holdings Limited, which is the parent company for Jones Homes, Fairview Holdings Limited, Fraser's Property UK Limited and Galliard Group Limited. So further signatories are on this include the Grosvenor Group Limited, Hill Holdings Limited, the Hopkins Home Group Limited, Inland Homes PLC, Gelsum Holdings Limited, Keepmote Limited, Land Securities Group PLC, Lenlease. Europe Holdings Limited, Life Story Holdings Limited, which also cover the Anthology Group, London Square Development Holdings Limited, McCarthy and Stone Limited, Miller Homes Limited, MG Gleason PLC, Morgan Sindel Group PLC, which is a parent company for Lovell and Muse, the Morris Homes Group Limited, Persimmon Public Limited Company, and Red Road PLC. Uh, in addition to that, you've got uh, Regal Whole Limited, which is the parent company for Regal London the Rowland Group Limited, the Sorbonne Group Limited, which is the parent company for Shanley Homes, um, since Midwin Group Holdings Company Limited, Story Homes Limited, Strata Homes Group Limited, Taylor Wimpy PLC, Telford Homes Limited, the Berkeley Group Holdings PLC, the British Land Company PLC, Tillier Homes Limited, the Vistory Group PLC, Viver indico Limited, the parent company for Avant Homes and the Western Group PLC. All of these have signed the contract. So I did want to take time to actually say that out in full because, you know, those people deserve credit that have signed up to it. But I think I go back to my point, Brian, that actually the two outstanding people not to do it, the big boys there that haven't. I think they're now going to wait to see what the threat is. I think they'll also probably be interested to see that everybody but them has done it. So there will be that pressure as well, if I'm honest. So, Brian, I'm going to move on to my next news story, if that's all right with you. And that story we've got, um, we wrote down on the website. And if you throw into the search engine on uh, fsmatters.com, you put in IFE and BAFE, you'll see a title titled, uh, IFE Bay for Firecore Statements Mark the 6th Anniversary of the Grenfell Tragedy. It feels always obviously we're a little bit after the 6th anniversary now, this was obviously written in, in June and here we sit in July, but it's, it's in between the podcast, wasn't it Brian? So it mm. was uh, well worth covering because Grenfell is something that none of us will ever forget, much like all House. So, as we await the much-anticipated second and final report from Grenfell Tower Inquiry, the fire safety industry must continue to lead and collaborate with its partners in order to rebuild trust and confidence within high-rise communities and the wider environment. That is the considered view of the Institution of Fire Engineers, which is IFE, as many of us would know them, as the organisation marked its sixth anniversary of the tragedy in Grenfell, which took place on the 14th of June 2017. The Grenfell Tower Inquiry has highlighted... Invaluable insights revealing systemic failures and shortcomings that must be addressed in order to prevent such a catastrophe from happening ever again, according to the IFE. The IFE has urged that industries across the building environment must collectively learn from the tragedy and make meaningful changes in order to protect the lives and safety of those who reside in high-rise buildings, ensuring that the industry professionals are keeping abreast of new legislative changes and those to follow." So going on a bit more on this, Brian, before I bring you in. Prioritising the safety and well-being of high-rise communities, the Building Safety Act 2022 and the Fire Safety England regulations have been widely discussed as they have been on this podcast since their introduction, providing support for those operating across the building environment. And the IFE has published guidance to help industry professionals navigate the new legislation and understand the impacts on the current fire safety best practice. We've also done that on webinars. You can go back, looking back and forwards, go to our website, fsmatters.com, click on the webinars tab, and you'll see that. But to provide clear understanding of the Building Safety Act gateways, IFE and the British Standards Institution have jointly developed a free webinar series focused to explain this process. Um, can be adopted so you can go and look at that. Further to that the IFE recently added a mandatory rule to its fire risk register in that new and existing individuals will now be dual registered with the Engineering Council and thereby ensuring a competent and multi-skilled cohort of fire safety professionals on that register. So this is all about driving necessary change effectively Brian. Uh, For its part the Fire Safety Federation has launched an initiative in October last year calling for a wider discussion to create a national fire safety strategy that would address measures to mitigate fire risks within the UK. And the IFE in the development of this document, identifying potential risks and raising competency standards. A full update on this development of the document will be coming in this October. I'm sure we will cover that on the podcast too. So, Brian, you know, I know BAFE have been involved in this with Firequal as well on the third-party certification front.
0: What have you got to add? Absolutely, Mark. Well, BAFE and Firecall, who duly acknowledged the 6th anniversary of the Grenfell Tower fire, they jointly state that, and I quote, Everyone involved in the fire safety industry remembers this tragic event, and our respects go out to all affected. Justin Mortby-Smithmark, Mark, is the Group Managing Director at BAFE, has stated, and I quote, What's important to note is the ongoing response and aftermath of this event. Latest developments of which are the forthcoming updates to fire safety legislation. There's now a far stronger focus on the responsible person. Their duties are being scrutinised more so than ever before. According to Maltby Smith, now is the time to, and again I quote, seriously acknowledge UCAS accredited third party certification as the key indicator of competence. This is particularly important for responsible persons, their choice of life safety systems focused contractors will now be a clear sign in terms of whether cost or safety was the main driver in the decision-making process. Very important issue this, Mark. Morby-Smith continued, While there's always scepticism from some quarters regarding third-party certification, we strongly believe this significantly aids in regulation of quality organisations and their employed individuals. It's a clear demonstration of objective evidence, audited at least annually by an independent party, for example a UCAS-accredited certification body. This is the most robust form of regulation on the market at present, is completely voluntary, which also strongly demonstrates an organisation's dedication to competence if they choose to go through this process. Focusing on fire risk assessors, Maltby Smith observed, in terms of the competence of fire risk assessment providers, government has stated that it's actively working with the fire sector to develop a robust rollout plan and will provide more information on this in the coming months. BAEF is proud to be part of this process and trust that government will make suitable improvements moving forward to help regulate this vital service. And Mortby Smith concluded, Mark, multiple organisations and individuals have stressed that we cannot let an event such as the Grenfell Tower fire ever happen again. BAFE and Fire Corps' work supports these statements by developing quality avenues to further knowledge that's underpinned by regulated qualifications and helps to demonstrate competency through appropriate third-party certification.
1: Well, obviously, I know Justin very, very well. And um, we're going to have Justin on the podcast later in the year, actually. And uh, and then the cat out of the bag a little bit here. um, BAFE have uh, agreed to become the new headline sponsor of the Fire and Security Matters Awards, which is something that you and I are really, really thrilled to announce because our beliefs completely in line with BAFE. We fully support everything that they stand for. They also support everything that we stand for, because together we want to push standards up in the sector. We could not ask for a better partner to be the new headline sponsor of the Fire and Security Matters Awards. Now, I don't want to steal the thunder of announcements we'll make later in the year, but we'll be working a lot closer with BAEF and They've got some great things to shout about. Uh, but I do want to just digress into the awards for a moment. We have had an unbelievably busy month. We had the first ever Fire Safety Matters in-person conference, which took place at the Coventry Building Society Arena on the 15th of June. If that wasn't enough, the FSM Awards were at the same venue that night. We had 504 of you come to the conference at the daytime, which was phenomenal. And we had 620 of you sell out the awards in the evening. 280 plus entries for the uh, FSM Awards you know that the whole day revolved around networking seeing the latest products driving standards you know it was cpd for everybody that that attended it it was you know it was a full-on day i can certainly say that and now brian will talk a bit more about what was said at the conferences obviously it was opened by the building safety regulator and I had a great panel of people that that brian shared but the the awards were, were were a fantastic evening and i'm really grateful to all of you listening and many of you did enter and we will open injuries again for next year that will happen that will happen about october november time but i do want to just take a moment to recognize the winners because they deserve recognition and and I, ho- I hope you guys will bear with me through this i'll just go through the fire categories that's what's relevant for this particular podcast so we had fire safety installation company of the year sponsored by apollo fire detectors the winner was frochester fire and security the winner of the fire safety project of the year sponsored by dynamic fire was Safelinks for its home fire safety check tool. The fire safety campaign yeah. of the year sponsored by Uptick, the winner was a VAC chair for their risky business campaign. Then the fire industry woman of the year was Chloe Vickery from GLA Fire and Security. The fire safety team of the year was, and that's sponsored by EMS I should say, and I should say also the fire safety woman of the year category sponsored by FFE, but back to the fire safety team of the year, that was Wheatley Group fire safety team. Then TO Fire Safety sponsored the Fire Safety Manager of the Year, and a winner of that is someone we know very well, uh, Alison Phillips from Mercado Group. I can tell you that award meant a lot to Alison, mm. as I've seen her video mm. comments afterwards, but so she was genuinely shocked to win. And uh, the Fire Safety Manufacturer of the Year went to ACO, and that category is sponsored by NCAB Group. The Fire Safety Innovation of the Year, that winner was to fire safety for to core and you've seen that we've had T on podcasts and we've had them on webinars too so um it's it's it was a worthy winner in that and and someone i was very pleased to see when the lifetime achievement award was alex carmichael who we've spoken about alex quite a bit on here he's obviously now retiring from uh, ssaib's chief executive having had a long career in the fire and security sectors so it was a fantastic night. I will tell everyone listening a great story that happened there too. Uh, We're getting a bit of humour to this podcast. So the host for the evening was Hugh Dennis. And Hugh was a great, great host. I'd had him before for the Save of Excellence Awards. And he's one of the few comedians that's actually willing to sit on a table with people. And he, and he sat on the table with us. And um, I went after dinner before the awards to go network with some other people, just walk around and say thank you to a few people. And uh, my partner, Leanne, came up to me with my phone and said, we've got a crisis. I'm like, you know, I don't think we do have a crisis. She goes, well, would you consider the fact that Hugh Dennis has managed to get himself locked in a toilet, a crisis, and he's due on stage in five minutes? I go, yep, that would count as a crisis. So... I took the phone from Leanne, spoke to Hugh and said, Hugh, what's, what's happened? He goes, well, I've gone back to my hotel room because the hotel room is actually attached, basically, to the venue that we're in at Coventry Boon Society Arena. And he goes, the handle's fallen off the toilet door in my hotel room and I can't get out. Well, to make matters worse, right, he'd locked his hotel room door as well. I mean, he must be very fond of security, this gentleman, because he's locked his hotel room door and locked his bathroom door just to go to the toilet. I mean... You know, I mean, I know he's a, a, a TV star, but that did seem a tad excessive. It made it more difficult to free him. Thank God we were in a football stadium with sliding doors looking under the pitch because the hotel had to break into their own hotel room by the sliding doors at the front and then basically barged the door down to let him out of the toilet. And then uh, he did manage to uh, come back out and uh, do a very, very good job of hosting the awards. So if you've never been to our awards, dude, it's a great networking night, but... All sorts of things happen to hosts. I mean, we had Tess Daly for the one earlier, in the year and she had a car crash on the way there. So you're bound sure to see something happen and me look very, very stressed. And uh, yeah, it was it was a great night. It has a really important meaning of celebrating the great job that you guys all do in keeping people and property safe. But it's also a lot of fun. And I would urge you all to consider entering when we open the entries in October, November of this year for next year's awards because I can tell you how much it means to those that are shortlisted, how much it means to your team, your colleagues, your client, your supplier, all of those people, all of you work together to keep people and property safe, and it does mean something, and I'll come a little bit more onto that in a bit later on, because something very good happened to us on the same thread recently. So it was a good night, wasn't it, Brian, and you had a very busy day in the conference.
0: A very busy day indeed, Michael, it was literally a full day for me, and in starting with a conference, winding back to that, which obviously started in the early early part of the morning, um, we did obviously plenty of pre-preparation for that, but you may not know this, Mark, but obviously we worked together in a former life at a company in London, and in those days I was regularly doing conferences, seminar, chairing, it was, it was a regular, I was regular on the circuit, particularly for security, for example. I hadn't actually done that a sort of gig, if you like, for about 10 years before I came to this one for the FSM Awards. Now, obviously, last year, I felt out um, of deference to yourself as founder of the awards, that it should have been you to do the opening address, and that's what happened. But I think this time it was important for me to do the awards in the evening in terms of the opening speech for the, for the fire sector, really, to get to know me and who I am. Obviously, I started with the business at the start of lockdown. So I'd literally been on my own for a, for, a, for, a, for a year and a half before I actually got to, got to the groups with the uh, meeting people as such. So it was very important people. But winding back to FSM Live, as I say, I hadn't chaired anything like that or given an award speech for literally nearly 10 years. I loved being back, Mark. I love being back on the circuit. And this, the conference was superb. I've got to say that obviously all the content was excellent. As you mentioned, Mark, earlier when we had the opening address from the Building Safety Regulator, Mark Wilson, who was superb, his, his conference programme and... and um, uh, delivery was very, very detailed indeed, as, you, as you'd expect, it's a very important topic. We then had Paul Melvin from Apollo Fire Detectors talking about protecting educational premises from fire. So a nice, um, I, I guess, a vertical segment look there. Uh, he's residential building pet compliant with BS 8629, was from Ken Bullock at Advanced. Very popular topic, this one, and we're doing some uh, editorial on that for the August print edition as well. Uh, Jason Hill from TO Fire Stake, you've already mentioned TO, the Four Pillars for Digital Transformation in the Fire Industry. An interesting talk, this one, Mark. We actually published an article by Jason on this back in the March edition of this year. So anybody wants to read that and, and the first time around, just go back onto the website or read the print magazine. After the first networking break, when obviously all the delegates uh, piled into the exhibition area to talk to the various manufacturers who were attending, we then had an old friend of both yours and mine, Ray Putchett from EMS, talking about the fire safety regulation, obviously a key issue at the moment. And Ray did a great delivery, as, as per usual, really. Um, That's not a bit too
1: nice about Ray. He was out in Spain last week as well. I like think he's, he's, he's uh, more jealous that we're out here now. now Ray, Ray is very good, and we're going to be doing more webinars with Ray rather soon.
0: We then had Rise presenting on protecting modern buildings. Again, a very important topic this one. We were talking about compartmentation of curtain wall facades. Uh, power up your fire and security installation business was next on the agenda from Mark Rees at Simpro. Uh, you couldn't miss Mark's stand; he was right outside the door from the conference, and it was very yellow and very blue. But it was a great stand. Which
1: is perfect, is what better colours do you want as an Oxygenated fan of yellow and blue? I couldn't be more supportive of Simpro's rebrand. Indeed, uh, Companies go going places. I'm telling you.
0: Indeed, and at 12:30, just to close the morning sessions, we had fire safety in historic premises. So again, a vertical sector focus. From Christopher Dunn at FFE, that was an excellent presentation. We've actually got a video
1: on that on our website, which is why I was looking. If you go to the FSM um, homepage, there's actually a video of this case study of the Ripon Cathedral case study and how they've installed the kit there. So I'd urge everyone listening to to go ahead and watch that. But but yes, the agenda carried on, didn't it, Brian? It was a
0: long, long day, but a good one. Did indeed, indeed. And the afternoon session was was begun by Ian Moore from the Fine Industry Association. Again, a massively important topic this one, Mark, defining competence for building a safer future. Uh, great delivery from Ian, as always, and several questions from the audience afterwards too. Now the next session I thoroughly enjoyed, Mark. the next session I sort of posed myself as David Dimbleby for the afternoon. And it was a, a panel session, uh, demonstrating fire safety competence. So again, following on the thing from Ian. And we had four speakers in that one. Uh, we had uh, panelists from uh, Bath. that was Justin Morby smith I've already mentioned as part of the, the news stories. Uh, Andy Packham, who's at uh, the BSI, Don Oakley from the National Security Inspectorate and Trevor Jenks from the National Training Manager at the SSIB. That session was great, Mark, and I think next year we'll probably look to do a few more of those. Very interactive with the audience.
1: Yeah, I like those. I like panel sessions. It doesn't have to just be death by PowerPoint. That particular session was really, really engaged. You know, we'd obviously prepared a few questions ourselves to kick it off, and, uh, but most of you listening aren't shy to put a hand up and ask a question, which makes these events and our digital ones, the webinars, you know, really, really engaging.
0: And then to close, there were two heavyweights of the industry. Do you have a suitable fire risk assessment was delivered by Dr. Bob Doherty from the IFSM? Now, every presentation I've been to by Bob, whether it be exhibitions or conferences, if you try and speak to Bob afterwards you have to wait about 20th in line that's my personal experience anyway because he's so very popular
1: to be fair the only thing that takes longer with Bob is him to do a round of golf I mean you know I, I love Bob to death but you'd be about six hours of him trying to find his golf balls on a golf course and he'll kill me for saying that but he, he is a running joke with Bob that I have that I could stick him on as late to the day as I wanted he'll still get a full house and have a queue of people speaking to him but you know and, and it is a great session and um you know we'll we'll be doing more with IFSM and I I should say here, IFSM did their own networking day with us for the first time as part of that. And they had over 200 people come to there. They had um, Dangerous Hackett talk mm. at it. Warren Spencer talk at it. Nick Coombs talk at mm. it. You know, they, they had some great speakers. And they're such a brilliant partner. And that's really what we're trying to do with the FSM Live Conference is making a proper industry day for education, networking, and seeing the latest product. But of course, yeah, we close with a great session, too, do we, Brian? This was
0: excellent, Mark. I have to say, I'd never met Kate Milford before, but Kate's great. She's the competent specialist at the Association for Specialist Fire Protection. A tremendous delivery. I'm very pleased to say many people stayed behind for that one, Mark. Normally you get to the last sessions of the day. Typically can be not very well, I tell you. This one was. And I'm very pleased to say that Kate's agreed to write for us on the back of that session as well. Now, yeah, she, she's,
1: uh, she will do a great article. She's um really classy lady. It had a great topic for us there. I mean, the, the whole day was, was special, as we said, you know, from from the conference first we did it to have 504 of you there was incredible. A huge thank you to all of the exhibitors and sponsors that were there too. There was over 50 of them there and, and I'm delighted to confirm that we will be doing it again next year, not just once but twice. We will be doing it back in Coventry um, alongside the Institute of Fire Safety Managers Technical Networking Day again. Also, a bit of breaking news here, there will be a BAFE conference. The first time in it its history BAFE will be doing a conference that day as well. All of these a free to attend. That will take place on the 12th of June, 2024, depending on when you're listening to this. And we're also thrilled to announce that we'll be bringing it to Manchester, to Emirates Old Trafford. That's Lancashire's cricket ground, not to Manchester United football club. It's Emirates Old Trafford, the cricket ground. And um, that will take place on the 3rd of October, 2024, where IFSM will have its AGM, FSM will have its conference. And delighted to say that the National Association of Healthcare Fire Officers will be doing a conference alongside us. Again, we want to make this a day where you can network with like-minded peers so there's no point asking me just yet when there's registration open that'll be next year it will be free you will be able to go we want as many of you to go but we're just giving the insight to now of, of, of what's next um but speaking of what's next um let's talk about what's next in the news story and it's almost a, a what's next in terms of movers and shakers so what have you got for us brian what's the next story you know what it is it's all about the asfp so tell us all the news that's just come out of the ASFP, Brian.
0: So the Association for Specialist Fire Protection used its 2023 annual general meeting, held recently at the House in Hertfordshire, as the platform to announce a new chair and a new vice chair for the organisation. Clive Miles, the founder and CEO of CLM Fireproofing, takes on the role of chair, while Sharon McClure, director of Vesta Scotland, has been elected as the first female vice chair of the ASFP. Having founded CLM Fireproofing three decades ago, Miles brings extensive experience of delivering passive fire protection solutions to some of the UK's most iconic buildings. He's passionate about driving best practice, developing and investing in people, and also championing innovation across the passive fire protection space. Miles succeeds Chris Miles in the role, with the latter standing down having served his two-year term in office. Commenting on his appointment, Miles noted, increased pressures realised by legislation, media coverage, the insurance markets and an ongoing skills shortage are driving unprecedented transformation in the sector. The ASFP and its members have to evolve in new and innovative ways in order to adapt to this new and ever-changing world. Miles continued, the industry is suffering due to an ageing workforce and a skills shortage. It follows that more needs to be done to attract and retain young professionals. Through a combination of apprenticeships, academies and outreach programmes, it's my firmly held belief that we can help to secure the next generation of our profession. In conclusion, Mark, Miles explained, by creating and implementing new ways in which to engage and train individuals and also promote passive fire protection, we can ensure that the ASFP becomes the industry benchmark for educational best practice. And again, I know you have some content to add on this one, Mark.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, in this situation, it's just to congratulate and welcome both to their roles here as uh, Chair and Vice Chair. It's particularly nice to see, you know... um, the symbolic appointment here too, a very well earned one for Sharon, being the first ever female mm-hmm. vice chair of ASFP. That's a very welcome um, bit of news. And you know Sharon has worked on the ASFP's development um, council for a long, long time, several years. So she's certainly uh, been heavily involved for a long time, and now sets up into this prominent position you know both are very experienced professionals both know the sector both are passionate about what asfp stands for asfp you know we partner with them you know their members get fsm as well you know with uh, mike ward in charge there now with you know another another change at the top there's a pretty exciting change for asfp and they really are leading for the front as much as they can do on the passive section so you know i would very very much um welcome Both appointments and wish them good luck for for the future and as i said you know i don't don't know if people know this but sharon's been an active role as i said in the asfp's council and she's very keen to develop passive fire protection sector as a whole and promote competency improve quality throughout the built environment and that is a viewpoint a value shared by everyone at asfp and uh you know very good luck to to both of them now we move on to the last news I want to talk about, and, and that is all about good luck and something that um, I am really proud to talk about. Um, we had some good luck, or I wouldn't say luck. It was uh, very, very well-deserved. Uh, Fire Safety Matters was uh, shortlisted for Media Brand of the Year at the PPA Awards, and the people that don't know what the PPA Awards is, I wouldn't expect you to necessarily. It is effectively the Oscars of the publishing sector. It is... Been going for over forty years, um, and uh, I, I have in the past in a previous life, as Brian says, as apparently we're talking about reincarnation today. Um, not managed to win an award there. I've I've come second, not even got a honorable mention or anything, and uh, and you know for two three years in a row now, FSM has been shortlisted, justifiably so, on there, and we went along to the awards without any expectation at all, just proud to be shortlisted alongside the biggest publishing companies in the UK we're talking about plc's here, multinational companies the big the big boys e maps as world hay markets etc and um i was stunned delighted thrilled whatever adjective uh, you want to throw at it to see that in the media brand of the year we we got the uh the special commended award that was there it was um Unbelievable. Um, To say that we were surprised and delighted and thrilled would be an understatement. Um, It means a lot. I mean, you know, Brian works tirelessly as editor of this magazine. Leanne does a fantastic job in terms of the the commercial side of things. And there's a bigger team behind that too the design team, Alex and my business partner Danny, the circulation side, the marketing side. And uh, when I launched Fire Safety Matters, you know, which would now be nearly seven years ago, I guess, six, seven years ago. it And Keith, my business, other business partner and I were talking about this on the night. Um, it's come a long way. We wanted to launch a magazine that was for the sector, by the sector, that had sector support, that had content that you wanted and you engaged with. And to say that you engage with it would be an understatement. There's over 54,000 of you that are on our database that engage with our content. We're the only magazine in the UK that can prove its circulation are independently audited. Over 20,000 of you want a copy of this magazine, um, which you know, speaks volumes and, you know, over 1,400 of you on average register for every webinar that we do. We've launched conferences and awards on the back of feedback from you. And, you know, for me, this isn't an award for me. It's 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 an award. For you know the staff like Brian and Leanne who thoroughly deserve it, but it's also an award for all of you listening. The recognition that you have created a publication that the judges noted um, shows incredible engagement. You listen this, this podcast is a great example of it. You know we always want your feedback, good or bad. We want to, we strive to want to improve this publication as much as we can. We are passionate on this podcast, this magazine about standards in the fire sector but we're also passionate about standards of our own publications and the quality of our own work so as much as we're celebrating hearing this news and we are and i'm so proud of brian and the team and leanne we also always want to hear from you how we can make this magazine better so you know i can't thank enough you know the supporters of this magazine whether it's the associations that push it out there people like ifsm people like fia people like asfp um, or whether it's bodies like BAFE, NSI, or SSAIB, our advertisers is what keeps this for free for you. And I must keep encouraging you to engage them. They all create quality fire safety products that are relevant to many of you. And please do engage with them because that's what keeps it free for you. But actually, the specialist thanks has to go to you guys. You take time to listen to this podcast, you take time to read the magazine or go to webinars will come to our events in huge numbers like we just said or enter our awards. So this is very much for you guys. This is something we can all enjoy together because it does feel like a true partnership between associations, industry bodies, ourselves, our advertisers and you, our readers. So uh yeah, it was a it was a wonderfully unexpected surprise and uh, very well deserved. I know, I know, it meant a lot to you too, Brian. To win literally the biggest award we could do in the sector, get the special commended in in that category was was
0: incredible. Absolutely, Mark. You know, as you know, uh, primarily my my background in journalism for the last thirty three years and counting has been primarily engineering and then followed by security. I came into fire journalism circa 2014, but it was part of a security magazine. It wasn't a standalone proposition until 2020 when I came to work at Western Business Media and took on the editorship of Fire Safety Matters magazine. I have to say, uh, in a short space of time, Mark, that I actually enjoy working on fire safety matters every good as much as I do on security matters. Uh, The topic is, there are a lot of synergies between the two topics. If you look at the management of the industries, the way the manufacturing is continuing in the industries and the, and, the, and the great professional status and standing of people within both. There's a lot of similarities there. Um, as far as the awards concerned, I'd won previously three journalism awards for my work in the security sector, which I'm obviously very proud of. But this one was a serious big hitter, Mark. We're talking about magazines like Building and Trouble Trades, Gazette, etc. I mean, These are titles that have been around for 100 plus years. I mean, seriously big hitters on the B2B scene. For us to be even mentioned in the finalist list with those companies and those magazines I think is tremendous for us. And hopefully, uh, 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 I guess a bit of a payback for us in terms of the effort we've put into this title across the last three years. But it's safe to say that when the announcement was made on the stage, Lian and I were quite vociferous in our applause. <laughs> there was no one noisier than you two, I can
1: assure you that. They, they were very well aware that we enjoyed the result. But uh, it was, yeah, and no, it was a... It was a great night and, um, you know, but I just wanted to share that great news because I I hope that, you know, you all can enjoy it like we did because we love doing this magazine and we very much value you as an audience. And please do reach out to us anytime. Email us, go on to social media, use the hashtag FSM podcast. If you want to give feedback on this podcast, please do leave reviews. Um, on all of the podcast platforms um, please do give your comments and feedback and Brian, is there anything else you want to add before we move on?
0: I'd just like to say briefly Mark and reiterate what you said to both our regular contributors and the manufacturers and, and the associations and industry bodies who write for us on a regular basis I have to say, all well, the content that comes across my desk is written to a very, very very high standard indeed and I'm very grateful to all of you who contribute towards Vice Safety Matters whether that be in print, in the podcast or for our awards and conferences etc
1: Well, Brian, as we move on, we go on to introduce the guests this episode of the podcast. And who have you got for us?
0: Our special guest on episode 33 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast is Judith Schultz, a director and the fire safety engineering team leader at Consultant Arup, where she's responsible for the UK fire team comprising upwards of 100 engineers and access consultants. Judith joined Arup just over 11 years ago, having served as a senior engineer at Holmes Fire and Safety from 2004 until 2008, and then spending just shy of four years at Consultant Bureau Hapold in the role of associate. The proud holder of qualifications from the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology, University of Southampton, and also the University of Cambridge, Judith has led the fire skills learning framework within Arup and overseen the creation of a two-year transition program for new graduates joining Arup Fire such that they can become fire safety engineers. During our interview, Judith focuses her attentions on the core topics of inclusive fire safety and sustainability. Thank you very much for joining us on the Fire Safety Matters podcast, Judith. Sustainability is becoming increasingly important across all industries now. What do you feel are the key areas in which fire safety can improve its credentials in this area?
2: Thanks very much, Brian. It's uh, really good to be here. I think it's useful to set some context first before answering your question. There's some really important megatrends to be taking account of when we're talking about sustainability. So. We have a large number of homes in the UK that were built before 1919, so a long time ago in a very different climate. We've got 80% of our homes today that will still be occupied in 2050. And we are really seeing a lack of accessible housing, overcrowding, changing climates. We're getting hotter summers, drier summers, and a really big drive in the recognition that we need to reduce the amount of carbon that the industry uses in doing much more retrofit in buildings and improving our homes so they don't waste energy or contribute uh, to the excess CO2 emissions. And in the context of all of that, we also have an ageing population, right? We're all getting older and less able, really, in the UK and in Europe. So for me, fire safety in that context and its improvement to sustainability credentials is about embedding safety in all of these drivers and making sure that resilience is a central part in all of the initiatives that are being undertaken to reduce embodied carbon, to create better homes that are more suited to dealing with the incoming climate change and also with the way our population is shifting, you know, becoming older and over time less able. So in its widest sense, I think we need to recognize that we are working in a complex environment and that safety is an important integral part of sustainability in that it helps deliver resilience in complex systems.
0: But what material based solutions do you believe will assist in meeting the core sustainability goals? Is it about doubling down on fire resistant materials or perhaps looking elsewhere?
2: Material selection is a a really important part and an endeavor that everyone is striving to use less materials or reuse and refurbish what we already have in terms of the buildings that are already there. And when we build new, there is a really big aspiration to use more timber as a renewable resource that's lightweight, that looks great, and smells like you're surrounded by a forest, really. So it's a really nice space to be in when you are living in an inner city home or workplace. It is often the material of choice. But we do know that it is combustible. and historically it's been banned from many cities for anything but very small buildings, often a very long time ago as a result of major conflagrations that have devastated cities at immense scale, including London, for example, in 1666 and the Great Fire of London. So as we want to bring timber back into our cities at much greater scale, we do need to expand what we understand of that material when used in that larger scale. So we are building in a resilient and safe way because we can't really afford to repeat the mistakes that were made um, over the last couple of decades when there was a great desire to better insulate buildings. And that was done with combustible materials. And it turns out we didn't understand that well enough as an industry. Now, now finding ourselves with a large number of buildings that need remediation because we didn't get it right first time round. So, I do believe it is important to understand it's an old material, using it in new ways much better. So, Arab has done large self funded research in 2021, the court Red experimental series, to better understand fire safety behavior in large compartments, which clearly hit. Enough. Um, when we published papers in 2022, it's one of the most cited papers in fire technology, a peer-reviewed uh, journal publishing scientific research, and was awarded with the best research award by the SFP UK chapter. Recognising that there are still knowledge gaps to be filled as we are seeking to deploy novel building solutions and sizes, um, I think is important. So we are not repeating the most mistakes from the past, because really we can't afford to build things twice. We need to build it once and build it right and use materials that we have in the best application. So timber is really attractive, but it's not always the right material. So we do need to set out hybrid solutions. Sometimes timber and concrete are a better combination. And for Arab, ultimately, it is about finding the solution that delivers the best whole life carbon outcome. And that isn't always timber, as it turns out. So we're finding when we work, with our clients on this and and look at it holistically, that timber sometimes can result actually not in the most optimal arrangement there. So it is really important to look at the bigger picture to deliver on the um, sustainability aspirations.
0: And can you tell us about Arab's work on safety equity, Judith?
2: Very happy. I'm glad you asked that question. So it is a really important driver for us that is very close to our hearts because we have, through Barbara Lane's expert work for the Grenfell Tower Inquiry, learned that over 40% of residents that actually were killed in in the tragedy were um, in some form impaired, either um, through sensory mobility or cognitive impairment. So that's a really disproportionate impact of safety risks that um, people with impairments carry. So it is one of our priorities to improve safety equity for vulnerable people. And we do that through self-funded research. We have initiatives running for several years now on identifying ways to retrofit evacuation lifts in existing buildings, where we're working with the fire service, social housing associations, and the lift industry to identify multiple approaches which existing building stock can be provided with equitable means of escape. And we're in discussions at the moment to arrange trials with uh, social housing providers in existing buildings, which we're very excited about. We've also brought in leaders in systemic change with Jill Koenig, for example, and um, James Pomeroy and others to learn from other industries to better listen to people with lived experience that can create better outcomes. So I'll give you an example. Personally, I had a project that I was working on with a social housing provider where I learned that some of the safety features that I like, I would want to include in a building could potentially cause concerns for them because they may be abused for drug running, right? That's not something I would think of. Thankfully, I don't um, have experienced that where I live, but it allowed me to then find a way through that meets both their concerns, addresses their concerns and still delivers the safety performance that are needed for the fire strategy for that particular building. So it is central to our investments and our way of working, and it's not just in fire safety. So it, all, it goes also to, for example, how women experience cities at night, which strongly influenced by lighting conditions. And our lighting colleagues have developed an evidence-based method that um, allows lighting schemes to be developed that makes women feel safer at night, which personally I'm also you know, really passionate about because it is something that isn't thought about enough, how we generally improve safety for a broader range of people in our built environment.
0: At the moment, what do you believe are the biggest blockers when it comes to the industry's progression on inclusive fire safety and sustainability?
2: So I think there is some way to go for us to appreciate that we're part of a complex system, right? The built environment is complex. There's many players influencing the outcomes generally not possible to fully foresee what initiatives will result in terms of implications for everyone that's part of it. And we have seen that following the Grenfell Tower fire where some well-intended initiatives had quite significant unintended consequences. If you see the EWS1 process, for example, that were not foreseen at the time, we need to learn how to integrate fire safety initiatives into such a complex system and better take account of how people use buildings and not expect that everyone strictly adheres to how we think they might use their buildings. We need to much better appreciate how buildings are managed and used to inform design decisions. And an important aspect there is that our codes and standards are lagging behind where the cutting edge of the industry is in terms of innovation and responding to the really pressing urgency of climate crisis needs. So we don't find answers to all of the challenges that we are faced with when we turn to approved document B or 9999 or other standards. So it places a much greater responsibility on, on the person doing that are designed to make good decisions and to do that in an environment that is shifting and and complicated, you do need to change your approach, right? You need to be open to wider input from others. So diversity is a really important point. And listening to those that have different experiences and can teach how certain features maybe in buildings don't work in practice is essential for that. And we do need to also really have our view in the long distance, looking at these mega trends in housing and um, the environmental and political environment is critical. Brian Meachan's work here for me is um, almost a must read really on fire safety engineering as a socio-technical system that has been presented on many, many years and it's not a new thought process, but it's still not part of the common narrative, if you like. This idea of deploying a different way of thinking, a systems thinking approach is important Otherwise, we do run the risk that we continue to repeat mistakes from the past. So an important aspect of the systems thinking is, uh, for example, creating feedback loops where small incidents and indicators are being recognized for potential routes to quite significant failures. And if you've listened to the Grenfell Tower inquiry and all the evidence that was presented there, there is a clear line that that didn't happen in in the past and if we want to learn from this particular disaster i think there is a challenge to the industry to take those indicators seriously and have stronger feedback loops and i'm i'm very excited about the cross initiatives for example that are offering that it's just not maybe as well known across the whole sector as it should be so it is a way in which confidential concerns can be reported it's a fantastic resource and it's great to see it being utilised more and more. So if I can give a plug for that platform here, then I'm delighted to do that because it does need more contributors and awareness of all the wealth of near misses. And unfortunately, also significant incidents that the wider industry can learn from as we are using new technologies where we don't want to wait for the next big disaster to learn from them. Right. We do need to look at these smaller incidents to prevent another grandfell.
0: And looking ahead, what do you believe and hope the fire safety industry will look like in, say, five to 10 years' time?
2: I think I would like all the players in the industry to be thinking of themselves as being consistently a cause of safety when working in an increasingly complex and ambiguous world, and seeing that as a central obligation that we hold. So that requires us to appreciate that. Complexity much, much more, and how to work within it. It also means having the tools to deal with malpractice, not to be afraid to make it public when actions need to be taken. That's something that actually you hear very little outside of the inquiry at the moment. I'd like us to have made a real tangible progress in tackling fire safety and equity at the same time as tackling the climate crisis, so that investments that are made to improve, for example, energy efficiency in buildings also make improvements for vulnerable people and that we are seeking to make up the lost years that we are unfortunately seeing very little done since Grenfell. So there was a clear indicator that there was a need to better provide for persons unable to self-evacuate and there's still a lack of action on that um, if you look at standards and guidance. So I think there is a, a need to really accelerate that in the future. And I'd like to see a more inclusive and diverse industry. I've been really impressed by the London Fire Brigade publishing their findings of their Independent Culture Review through a process chaired by Nazir Afal in November 2022. That's a really brave thing to be doing. They really opened themselves up to scrutiny and have taken significant steps to tackle the not inclusive and not open culture that um, was found. So I see that as a really inspiring sign of leadership on how change is possible, because I see from working in a really diverse team in Arab what immense benefit that brings to the way of working, the solutions that get found. And I think it would be a fantastic sign of leadership if the industry overall was embracing that fully. And similarly, what I was touching on earlier is making use of these feedback loops that are starting to get built in industry and enabling us to learn from small indicators and um, continually seeking improvements there. And in that vein, it's going to be quite interesting to see what we will gain from, for example, the new in Coming mandatory incident reporting regime that will be overseen by the new building safety regulator. So that's also a potential to create insight from those reporting provisions.
0: And finally, Judith, we've just witnessed the sixth anniversary of the Grenfell Tower tragedy. As time progresses, what moves are you hoping to see in the realms of additional parliamentary regulation for the fire industry?
2: Big question, hey. Um, we've seen a lot of work done over the past years already with immense changes underway for in occupation, higher risk buildings, and then much more coming very soon in October for all building work and new processes, then for design and construction in HRBs. But what I would like to see going forward that I don't believe is covered yet, but you know, there's so much happening, maybe it's somewhere in the pipeline, is professional registration being expected, valued and protected. When I was move, and I say that when I was moving from New Zealand in 2008 to the UK, I was quite struck how little anyone cared about whether I was chartered or not. So in New Zealand, at the time, you needed to sign off to the uh, building control body that your design was compliant with the regulations and you needed to also evidence at the end of construction that the work was in line with the strategy intent. And moving here, the only thing that my chartership was good for at the time was getting my CSCS card to get onto the Olympic Stadium site for which I was developing the FIRE strategy. So it's quite a significant setback to what I thought and had come to appreciate was an important way of being recognized as a professional who's invested in technical development, learning, understanding, you know. So it's good to see that emphasis on competence here, but it is only currently being strictly required by very few clients. So I think there is some interesting developments coming. I think we need better standards. We currently have two statutory guidance documents and two British standards advising on fire safety design when you do building work that could be consolidated because it is a lot of effort to update these standards so maybe it is cleverer to do that with one and more regularly than updating four at um, much greater time intervals are still open for misinterpretation so there's a opportunity to consolidate efforts into one standards that better meets industry needs and that's really good examples of how that can be structured abroad. It does need to provide better guidance on how to build with materials that everyone is looking at, like timber, for example, and needs much more pragmatic, detailed direction that guides a large portion of industry. And then I think for me also an area of concern that I don't believe is currently being looked at is how the building regulations are interpreted when doing building work in existing buildings. So there's this common misconception about as long as we don't make it any worse, it's okay. And that's not a correct interpretation. And I don't think is appropriate when we do need to look at reusing as much of our existing building stock as possible. So in in parallel with seeking to make improvements in energy efficiency, I think there is also an emphasis that needs to be set around improving safety standards in buildings, including fire safety and making buildings not only more accessible, but also providing accessible means of escape from those buildings and in that context that attitudes around well as long as you make the existing no worse that is good enough i think that Is not fit for the mega trends that I mentioned earlier and does need to be looked at and changed. So, we do improve standards of buildings in relation to energy efficiency, health, and safety when doing building work. And I am hopeful that the incoming regulator will look at that because improving standards of buildings is, if you look at the Act, one of the core aims or duties of that incoming regulator. So I'm hopeful that that will be looked at in the future.
0: brings us to the end of episode 33 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to our special guest on this edition, namely Judith Schultz from Arab. You can read more on the issues raised in this edition of the podcast and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website. The web address you need to access is www.fsmatters.com. We do hope you've enjoyed the content delivered in the podcast and found it informative. Please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming editions. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag FSMpodcast. On that note, do make sure you follow us on Twitter at fs_matters_mag and also access our LinkedIn page at Fire Safety Matters magazine and website. Please do like and share the content of our regular podcasts and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. All you need to do is enter the term Fire Safety Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.